Today's topic uh, is something that really is relevant to every person in this room. Uh, uh, over the last several years in our American culture, we watched suicide climb to a rate of almost 43,000 people a year, the, the largest number of people committing suicide in the history of our nation uh, is the cause of this. Uh, uh, in our generation today, there were people that you know that weren't able to get out of bed and come to church as a result of this. More young people today are struggling and dealing with this at a younger age than the history of our culture. Uh, the fact is today what took place this last week in Las Vegas potentially could have been a result of this. This there was a trigger mechanism in that individual's life. And because of that one action, many of us have experienced that same emotion and feeling. It's the topic of depression. It's the area of depression or discouragement. And today we're going to talk about it. over the last two years, the number one question, the number one topic that you asked for us to talk about was the area of depression or discouragement. And so I want you to take your Bibles this morning. The fact is today, this area of depression or discouragement is not new to the American culture. If you, cool. If, <laughs> if you look, if you look at the record of history, you look at human history and you look at biblical history, you'll find from the very beginning in the book of Genesis, the Bible says that there was a man by the name of Cain, and when God came to him, the Bible says that he was discouraged. And God asked him why. God asked him, Cain, why are you discouraged? There, 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 there are many people, as you flip through the pages of Scripture, you will see that they have what we'd like to call sometimes the dark night of the soul moments. The story that we're going to look at this morning is found in 1 Kings chapter 19. It's the story of a man by the name of Elijah. And I'd like to have you stand with me in the honor of reading God's word. We're going to read verses of 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 4, and then I'm going to read one verse out of James. 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to read verses 1 through 4, and then James chapter 5, verse number 17. And the Bible says, now Ahab told Jezebel. Everybody say, ooh. She was a real man's man. I mean, she was a real woman. <laughs> Somebody just got that. Everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. And so Jezebel ooh, sent a message to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me be ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And Elijah was afraid. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. James chapter 5, verse number 17 says, Elijah was a human being, or he was a man, just as we are. But he prayed earnestly. But he prayed earnestly. Today we're going to talk about I struggle with depression. I struggle with discouragement. Now what? Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. Thank you today, Lord, that in the ears and the hearts of those who hear, this would be a message of hope, a message of the good news. Jesus, that you came to give us life. Lord, I ask right now for the work of your spirit to take place in each one of us, Lord, that we'll be open to hear and to receive, God, what you want us to hear. Lord, I ask this now in your mighty and your powerful name, and everyone said, amen. amen. You, may, you may be seated. Have you ever experienced depression? You don't have to raise your hand. 
Have you ever been discouraged? Let's use discouraged. Have you ever been discouraged at any time in your life before? Of course, everyone's been discouraged in this room. John Stott, a famous theologian, said that the two chief occupational hazards of being a Christian are discouragement and depression. Every person in this room at some time of your journey and your walk in life have experienced this emotion. A psychologist has defined depression as a feeling of helplessness or hopelessness that leads to periods of sadness. Leads to periods of sadness. When you look at the biblical record, the word depression is actually never used. But you do see the word discouraged and you see individuals who've been very discouraged. Some would even say depressed. The Christian life that you and I walk, it's not a painless journey, but it's full of the promises of God to those who believe. Our journey in this life is not painless, but God has plenty of promises for everyone in this room that no matter what we are walking through, God is with us. God is our helper and our hope. We talked about this, this message over the last couple of weeks, and we came up with a little illustration that I hope will help you kind of see what we're talking about here today. And I got my great friend, James. Can we give James a great big hand? Now, James is my CrossFit buddy here. How many of you, ever, how many of you in the room do CrossFit? Anybody do CrossFit? All right, about four of you guys. Oh, come on in the back. I went down here a couple months ago and watched these guys down this CrossFit gym down here. I was thinking about signing up. And then I saw them drop a 100-pound bag on this guy's back. And I said, I think I'm going to go to the golf course. <laughs> James CrossFit guy. Tough dude, man. Don't mess with James. He's tough. James is going to represent the human life today. He's going to represent us. He's going to represent what we walk through in life. And there are things that we call trigger mechanisms. There are things that trigger discouragement or despair in our life. And they're different for different people. Because, see, we are trifle people. We're body, soul, and spirit. When discouragement comes, it, it can come just through kind of the circumstances of life. I mean, well, this last week we saw it take place and the things that took place in Vegas and our country. And for many of us, that causes emotions of discouragement. I, I always say every time I open a, a letter from a, a lawyer, <laughs> causes anxiety and discouragement in me. But, but there, there, are, there are just situational things. There are also spiritual realities to discouragement and depression. And there's also biological, physical realities. Now, I'm here to he- I want to hear, want you to hear this right up front today. That, man, if you've been diagnosed by a doctor and you are working in counseling today, you keep doing what you're doing. But I do believe that every person in this room can get better. I believe that every person in this room can get a little healthier, a little spiritually more in tune with what God is speaking and what God wants to do. And so I I believe God's speaking to us today because everyone in this room will walk through this at some point in their journey with Christ, if not every week or so. (laughs) All right, the first one here just, uh, and these aren't in any kind of order, but uh, one of the things that causes discouragement in people or depression in people is loneliness. We're the most connected generation in the history of the world, but we're also the most isolated generation in the history of the world. So we got loneliness as a possible trigger mechanism for discouragement or depression in our life. Fear, that sense of the fear of the future. Someone once said that fear is false evidence that appears real. False evidence, it's not really real. It hasn't happened yet, but just the thought of something terrible happening, taking place in our life creates fear in our life. 
All right, let's see what else we got here. Maybe we can just slide over. So these are heavy. I don't have to walk that far. There you go. How are you starting to feel there, man? Look at that, man. He's got his workout going. Okay, you want me to work out too. Now, I want to watch you work out, all right? All right. How about anxiety? You ever have moments of anxiousness in your life? You just feel anxious about something? I had a friend of mine told me he just started feeling anxious. He's 53 years of age, never felt anxious in his life before. And over the last several months, he's just been feeling it, waking up feeling anxious in his life. How about this one, relationships? Nothing can bring discouragement or depression in our life quicker than having broken, rela- tr- broken relationships with a spouse or a child or a coworker. It can just be a trigger mechanism in our life. Are we evened up here? Starting to feel it two to two? Last service, he had him here, and he said, that's a little, we're going to readjust that here. So, all right. How about addictions? Addictions, you know, God's called you to be free. God wants you to live the abundant life. God wants you to live victoriously. But the reality is, for many in this room, we are still succumbing to the works of the flesh. Some of you are dealing with stuff that you didn't even deal with before you were a Christ follower. The enemy has been able to trap you. Uh, 13% of the, the people in this room are experiencing addiction at this current time. We have what we call here at City Church Celebrate Recovery, and it directly works. Come on, celebrate. It tries to help people that are working through life's choices like that. So what else we got here? Let's see. Demonic attack. We're in a real live spiritual battle. Don't kid yourself. First Peter says, Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may to devour. If Satan was able to tempt Jesus, if Satan was able to kind of try to come and lie and attack Jesus, do, do you not think that he set out to attack and to destroy your life? So we have satanic attacks can bring triggering mechanism for us. Finances, lack of money, more month than money, not able to pay your mortgage, not able to pay your rent, looking down the road and realizing that you are short and you're living with in a, a place of lack can create depression and despair. Are we doing good? All right. How about chronic illness? Just and long-term illness, just really struggling and wrestling. You've been diagnosed by the doctor and you're taking medications. It doesn't seem to be better. It can be a trigger me- mechanism for depression and discouragement. Let's see. Failure, just you blew it again. Oh, God. I can't believe I did that. You just, just feel so bad about your personal failures in life. What else we got here? Overexertion, just working too hard. There was a report in New York Times this week of a young lady from Japan, a news reporter from Japan, who worked 160 hours of overtime, and she died. As a matter of fact, it's a big news story. She died, and the diagnosis was that she had overexertion. She worked herself literally to death. All right, how you doing there, buddy? Doing Come on, get your workout. Let's go. Let's just do a few of these. There you go. I'm his CrossFit instructor today. Right? All right, you're getting ready here. Getting ready to take off here. Tragedy. We just walked through it, just experienced it. These trigger mechanisms in our life. Now, listen, these things within themselves, individually, maybe a couple of them, there's stuff that we walk through in life. And generally, generally, we just kind of carry the load with us. So what's going to happen here is James, and you guys are going to help me out. James is going to run. Now, first service, he was able just to run down a little shorter here. Second service, he's going to run all the way around the room. So he's going to need a little bit of help here. You guys ready to cheer him on? Come on, you guys are my CrossFit instructors here. Let's, let's cheer James on. Are you ready? On the count of three. And even go down the stairs. All right. One, two, three. Come on. Go, James. Go, James. Go, 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 go. Go, James. Go. Go, James. Go, 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 go. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Come on. You're almost there, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, buddy. Go, James. Come on, man. Come on. Yeah, you can do it. I believe in you. 
<laughs> oh, you're on your home stretch, baby. Yeah, come on, push, 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 push. Come on, man, come on. Ah, you know what? That wasn't good enough. Why don't you go ahead and do it one more time? <laughs> no? Okay, come on up. Hey, give James a great big hand. Now just stand right there. All right, so one time, yeah, he did it one time. He's a strong dude, and but then. <laughs> Come on, baby. <laughs> One more. One more. This is your trigger. You name it. Something in your life. God's called you to live an abundant life. God's called us to live a victorious life. Paul said that we're to run the race to win. This one thing keeps you bogged down. And the problem is, is that, you know, James just did it one time. The fact that we have to run the race of life. And it isn't running about around a building one time. It's all the time. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we can find ourselves as Christ followers carrying loads that we were never meant to carry. Carrying burdens that we were never meant to, ne never ever meant to, to carry. Today I believe that a message of hope is for you. Thank you, James. Come on, let's give him one more great big hand. <laughs> yeah. There you go. In our story today, we're looking at a man by the name of Elijah. Elijah had an incredible victory at Mount Carmel. In one moment, man, he's at the highest pinnacle of his, of his walk with God. Elijah, he was, he was the quintessential Old Testament prophet. If you were here last week and you heard Bill Wilson, I always told Bill, you were just born in the wrong generation you need to be an Old Testament prophet. I mean, he, Bill says things that I never heard another pastor say in my life. One time he told me, he said, ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that works. Elijah's a victor. He's victor. He, in 1 Kings chapter 18, he, he's calling out Ahab and Jezebel. He's calling out, he's calling them out, and he's saying, listen, you guys are, you guys are all messed up. You're taking the people the wrong direction. You're, you're crooked. You're wicked. You're evil. You, you've allowed idolatry. You even have pagan leaders that are leading the people astray. It, it's time. It's time for your gods, these these false gods that you guys are trying to worship. It's time for them, to, for the people to see who really is God. So it was a showdown and a show up at Mount Carmel. So he calls out these false prophets. There's 850 of them. And he begins to taunt them. You can read the story for yourself. It's one of those great children's stories, but it really took place. You can actually go to Mount Carmel today and there's a little plaque there that's dedicated to, to where this actual cosmic spiritual battle took place. Elijah's calling him out. He said, go ahead, guys. You, what we're going to do is we're going to have a little competition to see whose God is really real, and we're going to make a sacrifice. And then what, what you're going to do is you're going to call out to your God, and you're going to ask him to bring fire down from heaven. And so they said, okay, we'll do that. Elijah says, okay. So they, they make a sacrifice, and they start calling out to their gods. They start calling out to the gods of Baal and all the different kinds of deities that they were worshiping. And they're calling out, and they're calling out, and there's no answer there's no answer. At one point, Elijah says, hey, where, where's your God at? Maybe he's too busy. He might even be in the restroom. 
He's taunting them. He says, oh, come on. You, where's your God? God doesn't show up. Cut themselves, scream, yell, trying to, trying to bring fire down, trying to make it happen. Nothing happens. After this long day of the prophets of Baal trying to call fire out of heaven, Elijah says, I want you to see what my God can do. So I want you to take that sacrifice. It's going to be a soggy sacrifice. He pours a bunch of water on it. He says, hey, get more water. I mean, I want you to fill everything up, all the trenches, all the ravines. I want you to fill everything with water around here. And when I pray, you're going to see God respond. And just in the Hebrew, it's about 43 words. Elijah prays a simple prayer. And boom, bam, shazam, pow, fire comes from heaven and consumes a sacrifice. Burns it up. And then Elijah, with his own hands, kills all 850 prophets. He's bad to the bone. One dude, 850. I was glad he was born another generation. Destroys the sacrifice. Destroys, destroys the opposition. And then in 1 Kings chapter 19, we find him. I'm going from a place of victory, a mountaintop of victory, to a complete valley of despair place of brokenness you know it's a common pathway that happens in many of our lives there's things that trigger us we can be going along life and everything's just going along normal and all of a sudden something happens for Elijah he was going from a moment of victory to literally literally the next day a place of the lowest valley I want you to look at verse number three the Bible says that when Ahab and Elijah I mean, when Ahab and, and Jezebel begin to taunt him, begin to threaten him, he runs for his life. What many times happens when we're walking through seasons of discouragement, rather than dealing with it, rather than confronting it, rather than, than facing our enemy, we run from it. We feel like if we run from it, we can, we can hide from it, and we don't have to deal with it. The pressure is relieved. And the fact is, sometimes when we run from things, we feel a relief of pressure. The problem is, everywhere we go, there we are. And Elijah runs from his problem. The Bible says that he was afraid. He was full of fear. False evidence appearing real. He just had a great victory. I mean, in his mind, he's thinking, listen, God shows up in power and glory. The people ought to be repenting. The people ought to be falling on their face and calling on God and that's not what happens. As a matter of fact, exactly the opposite takes place. And so Elijah, I would just say he spiritually wore out. He just completely wore out. He's been fighting a spiritual battle, the galactic battle of the spiritual universe. He's wiped out. He's just completely spiritually depleted. But not only was he spiritually depleted, he was also physically depleted. The Bible says that he went from Mount Carmel to a place called Jezreel. Jezreel is 15 miles. He actually outran Ahab's chariots to get there. I mean, he ran, and the Bible says that he was strengthened by the Lord to do it. So he's been spiritually battling all day. If you've ever been involved in service, if you've ever poured out your life, it's kind of like maybe you work 10 hours or you work 12 hours or maybe you, know, you just had a long day of overtime and then you get home and then your wife says, hey, you know, we're going to go run a marathon tonight. You're like, eh, that ain't going to happen. You want to just sit down with a remote control and watch television. No, no, no. Elijah doesn't do that. He has this incredible day of spiritual exhaustion, of physical exhaustion. Now he goes and runs 15 miles. Then when he gets to Jezreel, 
the Bible says that he hears Ahab and, Eli, uh, and Jezebel and their threats, and he gets, gets up and runs another 85 miles to a place called Beersheba. In just a couple of days, listen to this, in just a couple of days, he runs over 100 miles. Anybody ever run a marathon here before? How about a 13K? How about a 5K? How about a 1K? I run, I run at least a 1K every Sunday when I preach up here. He ran 100 miles. He was completely physically depleted. His serotonin levels were completely wiped out. Nothing left. The neurotransmitters in his brain were not firing correctly. His soul wasn't healthy. His body wasn't healthy. He was emotionally, emotionally depleted. And then he experienced a satanic attack. The Bible says that these Old Testament stories were written as an example to us. And so when Ahab and Jezebel, who represent evil and darkness, when they begin to say these things to him, they're attacking him. Hear me today. Satan knows our weakest points. Satan knows exactly what it's going to take, what fiery dart, what trigger mechanism it's going to take in your life to just tip you over, to get you into a bad place. Peter says that our enemy, Satan, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to devour you. He wants to keep you from being effective. He wants to keep you discouraged. He wants you to keep you, he wants to keep you beat down so that you can't function. Paul the Apostle told the church of Thessalonica, he said, Now may the God of peace make you entirely pure and devoted to God, to God and may your spirit, soul, and body be kept strong. Be kept strong. God wants you to be strong. God wants you to be spiritually strong. God did create you to be an overcomer. Paul said, in all these things, all the trials, all the tribulations, all the stuff that happens in our life, all the stuff that happens, we are still more than Nikes. We're still more than an overcomer. You might not feel like that. You might not be walking that out today. That might not be your personal experience in the moment. But let me tell you, it's not by feelings that we walk today. It's by faith. Our faith and hope is in the Son of God, our resurrected King. Someone said amen. amen. And so what does he do? What does he do? So he's wiped out. I mean, guys, he's completely depleted. Look at verse, the, look at verse number three. The Bible says, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. You know what he does? He isolates himself. This is the wrong. These are pathways that lead to discouragement, despair, and depression. First thing that he does is he runs from his problems. The second thing that he does is he isolates himself. Psychology Today reports 25% of Americans have no meaningful social support at all. Not a single person they can confide in. Over half of all Americans report of having no close confidence or friends outside of their immediate families. The situation today is much worse than it was when similar data was gathered 20 years ago. It's much worse. We're the most connected generation. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on all these social media apparitions, LinkedIn, but we're not really LinkedIn. We're not linked into other people. We're not connected with other believers. The Bible says that there is power in agreement. Jesus said where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. It's why we believe small groups are so important for every Christ follower at City Church. 
And if you're not in a small group, get in the game. There's something that happens when we get in a small group. I, I meet with my small group on Wednesday morning. We're studying the book of James, and it's been really cool. We've had just right out of the box, man, just some really awesome bare wire conversations about the stuff that we're walking through in life. You know, the cost, the cost of staying isolated as a Christ follower. The cost, according to the Psychology Today article, is an increased vulnerability to mental illness. Social isolation is a huge risk factor, risk factor factor for the onset of major depression, which has more than doubled in prevalence over the past decade. And then I want you to see the next thing that he does here. He throws himself a pity party. He throws himself a pity party. Verse number four, he says, I've had enough, Lord. Can't do it anymore. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Take my life. God, kill me. Uh, listen, he's not the only guy in the Bible that's asked God to kill him. And he's not the only person in history. I've, I've even had desperate prayers where I said, God, just go ahead and take me. I'm sure glad God hasn't answered that prayer. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank God he doesn't answer every prayer. But man, he's just, he's in that self-abuse moment. God speaks life over us. God speaks blessing over us. God speaks favor over us. God speaks increase over us. God says, you are created in my image. God says, you're my son. God says, you're my daughter. God speaks life. But when we find ourselves in these moments of discouragement and despair, we speak death. Deuteronomy says, choose life. Choose life. Choose life or choose death. The power of life and death are in the tongue, and we will eat the fruit thereof. If you just look at, at a global level, look what's happening in our culture today politically. Look what's happening in our media today. Constant death, constant criticism, constant negativity, and it affects all of us in this room. We all feel it. We all feel the, the you can't put anything on Facebook without somebody attacking. Or you know, I just stay completely away from it. Here, this is kind of my rule on it. What I say on Facebook, whatever I do on Facebook will be there for eternity. Whatever I put on Facebook, Whatever I say here on Sunday morning, everybody will forget after you leave today. <laughs> I mean, he's just broken. He finds himself in a place of self-pity. He's just broken. But what I love about God, although he's made his own trail and he's made his own way, God hasn't given up on him. God has not given up on him. Satan's trying to destroy him. His life is at very risk, but God shows up. But God shows up. The compassion of God invades into his world. He's had one of his greatest spiritual victory that any man of God has ever had. You know what God doesn't do? God doesn't come alongside and say, hey, Elijah, suck it up, buttercup. Put your big boy pants on. It's time to be a man. Mm -mm. I, just, I was about 18 years old, and I was working in a restaurant, and, and I was just dead. I was lost. It was a real fast-moving place, and, and a lot of activity going on, and I really didn't know what I was doing. I really was lost, and I was working on the floor, and, and I walked up to this table, and I turned around, and one of the waiters was coming through the dining room with a great big tray loaded of dishes, and he whacked me right in the head. And, I mean, he whacked me so hard in the head, I literally fell straight to the ground, knocked out. 
I mean, it's laying there like this. And the people in, in the room stood up and cheered. How'd you like that one, huh? I'm just laying there. I'm, I'm seeing stars. And the waiter comes over to me. Get up, you idiot. Get up. What's the matter with you? Come on, you jerk. Get off the floor. How do you think I felt? <laughs> I didn't feel very good. And that's sometimes what we do to people who are walking through deep valleys of discouragement and depression. But that's not what God does. God does exactly the opposite. Oh, I want you to see the compassion of God. In verse number five, the Bible says that when he sat down under the tree and he's been pouring out his complaint before God and he doesn't want to live any longer, then the Bible says that he laid down under the bush and he fell asleep. He's getting some rest. Sometimes when you're in the moment, sometimes when you feel completely depleted, the best thing that you can do is go lay down and take a nap. Someone said amen. I wish I was three years old in preschool again and got to take a nap every day. And then the Bible says, all at once an angel. In the Greek, this is not the Greek, this is the Hebrew. In the Greek is angelos. It's the same word in the Hebrew. An angel, a messenger touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and then he lay down again. In just the right time, in his darkest moment, in the deepest valley of his life, coming off the greatest victory of his life, God sends a messenger. God sends a messenger. A messenger. A messenger of hope. A messenger of compassion. I do believe in angels. I believe some of you in this room have been angels to other people in their darkest moments. You know, when you come alongside of someone who's beat down and discouraged and depressed and doesn't feel like they can take another step, God's using you to be an angel or a messenger to them. And you know what this messenger does? He comes and he makes them a meal. He comes and he makes him a meal. The psalmist David said of the Lord, you prepare a table before me in the midst of my enemies. God's preparing a table before us today. God's sending a messenger of hope to you and I today. I was thinking of this as I was studying this message this week. There was a psychiatric do doctor up in the Northeast, and she was asked, what do you do when people come in here that have tried to commit suicide? And he, they said, what was the, what's one of the first things that you do? She said, well, after we evaluate them and check them out, she said, one of the very first things that we do is we provide them a steak dinner. She said, because we have found that so many times when people come in really completely depleted and at the end of their life, they feel like they can't go, uh, uh, go on any longer. She said, their protein levels are completely out of whack. It's one of the first natural things they do is they provide a meal for them. They just try to bring up that serotonin level to try to get that protein level back in balance. See, God provided for Elijah exactly what he needed. You know what he needed? He needed to fall asleep. And it needed a meal, and it needed some water to drink. That's God's provision. In the book of Matthew, Jesus is teaching thousands of people. The master communicator, the greatest preacher that ever lived, has them out on the hillside. And the people are worried about their finances. They're worried about the wars that are happening. They're worried about their future and their kids. And they're worried about all these kinds of things. They're worried about all the stuff that we worry about in life. The stuff that brings anxiety and tension, fear. 
leads us many times on a place of discouragement or despair. And Jesus says, Jesus says to him, don't worry. Don't worry. What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for after? All these things the unbelievers seek or run after. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek, run after the kingdom of God and to be in right standing with him. And all these things will be added to you. God says, don't worry. I've got your back. I'm your provider. Abraham needed a solution. Didn't know how God was going to provide us the sacrifice that was going to go on the altar. And when his son says, Dad, Dad, what are you going to do? He says, I don't know. Jehovah Jireh will provide. God will provide. God provided an angel, a minister, in just the right season of his life. God just didn't provide for him. God also speaks to him. In verse number 9 and verse number 12, the Bible says, And the word of the Lord came to him. Up to this point, he couldn't hear God. I mean, you know, when he was over in the fire moment, calling fire down, he was a representative of God. But now he just needed to hear a word from God. And the Bible says, And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing, Elijah? What's wrong? And then God says, I I want you to see something, Elijah. You see, you just went through this great vow. You went through this great victory on the mountaintop. And the Bible says that God takes him out of the cave and he puts him over. Uh, he, takes him, he goes from the, mount, goes from the mountaintop. He goes to the cave and God pulls him out of the cave. He says, I want you to stand here. And the Bible says there was an earthquake that began to shake. But God wasn't there. And then all of a sudden there was a, a great big fire that blew through. But God wasn't there. And then I want you to hear these voice, this, these words. And the Bible says that then the still, small voice or gentle whisper of God came. And Elijah heard the still, small, restorative, caring, loving voice of a father. So many times in the Bible, this imagery is used of God where he talks about singing songs over his children caring for them, nursing them like a little child who's sucking on his mother's breast, providing for them, caring for them, wooing over them, loving them. God not only becomes his provider, but in his isolation, in his isolation on Mount Carmel, God came in a fire to show his judgment to the world when people choose to to reject his grace and his love and his forgiveness. But in the cave, God comes in a still, small voice. Jesus said that my sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. God speaks to him in his isolation. God promises us his voice. God speaks to you today. God's speaking to me today. Then I want you to see one last thing that takes place here. God shows up, speaks to him, and then guess what he does? He challenges him to a new assignment. He's not going to just let Elijah experience healing for himself and for his four and no more. No, no, no. God has a mission. God has a purpose for Elijah's life. And every person in this room has been created by God to be a minister. Every person in this room has a story. 
And what God wants to do with your story is he wants to turn it into his story. A story that every test that's come, he wants to turn it into a testimony. Every mess that you've walked through, God wants to use it as a message of grace. Hear me today. God wants to take every scar that you've walked through in your life. God wants to turn it into stars for his glory. He wants to use it ultimately for your good. Like Pastor Glenn said earlier in the prayer time, God wants to turn that evil. God wants to turn it for good. Not only for you, but ultimately for his glory. See, we are Christ's representatives on this earth. And we've all got a story of pain. We've all got a story of brokenness. We've all got, it's just at different dimensions and different levels. Some of us in this room are carrying heavy loads today. And we haven't been able to get any of it off. And God's still small voice is speaking over you. I have a new assignment. Elijah, I want you to go back and I want you to anoint. I want you to anoint a couple of kings and another prophet who's going to be your successor. So you've been created by God for a purpose in this room. Every person in this room has been created by God for a purpose. One of my favorite characters of the Bible, but he's not a character. He's a guy who just happened to live 2,000 years ago. His name is Peter. I don't know about you. I identify Peter. I've said the wrong thing. I've said maybe it was the right thing I thought, but it was the wrong time for sure many times. And I've said the wrong things. And I've failed God many times. I shared with someone earlier this week that the longer I serve the Lord, the more I realize my own shortcomings. I get frustrated. I get irritated easily. <laughs> you know, I just, we've got stuff in our life. We're being conformed to the image of Jesus. We're on a journey together. And the pathway is full of pain. But we have the promises of God. Promises of hope and victory. Promise of life. I've come to give you life, Jesus said. There was a guy named Peter in the Bible, and he failed Jesus miserably. You guys know the story. You know, he's going to stay with Jesus, last guy standing, last guy at the bar. I can outdrink everybody. He's a man's man. He's a rough dude. And, the, you know, in the garden, you know, they're coming to arrest Jesus. He whips out his sword and cuts off the dude's ear. And Jesus has got to fix that for him, got to heal the guy's ear. He's just making a mess everywhere he goes. I ain't going to do that, Jesus. And he goes immediately goes and denies Jesus three times. I'm a little girl. She just asked you if you knew Jesus. You can't even say you know Jesus. He was ashamed. He was ashamed. And then he's just so beat down. And so although he's called to be a minister, he's called to go and preach the good news. He's called to go and cast out devils and heal the sick and raise the dead. That's what he's called to do. He backslides to what he knows. And he's a fisherman by trade. So he goes out, he's fishing all night, the Bible says, and he and his other buddies, Peter, James, and John, whoever else is with him out on the boat, they fish all night and they catch nothing. It's just not working. He's frustrated, he's out there. and All of a sudden, a resurrected Jesus, a resurrected Jesus appears. And the Bible says that he shows up on the seashore side and he's made a meal. He's made a meal. He's got a little fire going. He's got some fishies on top of that fire. They've been out in the boat. These are fishermen, professional guys. They know how to catch, and they've got nothing. But Jesus has already made a way where there is no way. Jesus already had the fish taken out of that sea and brought on the seashore. And Jesus makes a meal for Peter, and he calls him in. He says, come on in, boys. You don't have to try to do it any longer. You don't have to carry the burden any longer. You don't have to try to do it on your own any longer. I'm your source. I'm your provider. 
His still small voice, the voice of comfort, the voice of hope, the voice of restoration, the voice of love. I love you with an everlasting love, Peter. I haven't forgotten you. I know exactly where you're at. He brings Peter to the shore side. He begins to talk to him about his life, about his mission, and about his purpose. The reason that we are so determined to communicate at nauseum at this church about people going to growth track and serving other people. Because we know that until you start really giving back, until you really start serving, you will never fulfill the purpose for which God has called you to. And if you're not fulfilling that purpose, you'll live a frustrated Christian life. It won't be abundant. It'll just be getting on to the next thing, to the next church, the next experience, the next, or maybe even checking out a church. But there's something that happens when we start walking out the mission for which Christ has called us. Three times, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? In the Greek, Jesus used three different words. He used two different words. He used phileo, which is friendship love. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, you know I'm your friend, Jesus. Okay, Peter, no, 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 listen. Do you love me? Not Jesus. Come on, you know I'm your friend. No, no, Peter. Do you agape? Do you with all of your heart? We were singing, I surrender. We were singing that song, and I'm praying, God, is that really my heart today? Do you really love me? And then I want you to see what Jesus says. Peter says, you know I love you. And he just says, go and feed my sheep. Go and fulfill your purpose. Four things as you're walking through the season. First of all, take care of yourself. I mean, Elijah slept. He slept. Make sure you're getting, we're the most, I mean, we got our cell phones. I made a decision. I went to Alabama a couple months ago, and the pastor talked about he doesn't keep his cell phone by the side of his bed anymore. He took downstairs, and I said, you know what? That sounds really good. I'm not going to, because I wake up in the middle of the night, go to the bathroom. First thing I do, check my phone. Anybody else here do that before? No, I know you guys would never do that, but I've done that a couple times. Plus, I'm going to keep my cell phone. just going to take it away. Give me at least eight hours, seven hours. Take care of yourself physically. Get some rest. He, he was overexerted. He'd run 100 miles, and he burned out. He was burnt out. Take care of yourself physically. He left his assistant on the side of the road, and he tried to do it on his own. Don't do life alone. Get into a small group. Get connected with other Christians. Read the Bible. Have someone in your life. At least have one other person that you can really pray with. Pray with your spouse. Obviously, that's the first one. But, man, we need other brothers and sisters. Men need other men talking straight and praying with them and encouraging. Do that. And the last thing is make a difference. Make your life count. Whatever your story is, make your life count. I want you to bow your heads. You here today? I pray today the Holy Spirit will use this message to encourage you. Today we're talking about discouragement, people that just, and you're in this room, man, and I, I do know this about God. He cares. He cares. He really cares for you. He really loves you. Most of my Christian journey is, there have been a few suddenlies and a few amazing things that have transformed, but in issues of character and issues of walking out my life, I've found it to be progressional. Lots of prayer. Lots of prayer. Two things that Elijah did that I think separates Elijah from other people is that when Elijah was really discouraged, he prayed to God. Now, his prayer was sent in an SOS, God, I can't take it any longer, but he did talk to God. 
He did talk to God. And then when God responded back to him and told him to do something, he immediately went up and did it. So he talked to God, he prayed to God, and then when God responded, he obeyed. Uh, we believe the first core value, you can go out on the wall out here, very first core value at City Church is we believe to pray first. It's not pray second, pray third, pray fourth. We believe in praying first before every small group. We have huddles before you. And if you're serving a serve team here, we, uh, first thing we do is we pray first. Staff meetings, we pray first. Sunday mornings, we pray first. Before every meal at my home, we pray first. Pray first. First part of the day, pray first. We believe in the power of prayer. It's not just an option. I believe for Christ followers, it's a thing that brings divine connectivity, connection between us and God. And in the book of James... This man, Elijah, is referred to. And it said, he's a man just like you and I. The Bible says, are any of you sick? Any sick among you? Pray. Anyone happy, let them sing songs of rejoicing. Any of you, anyone in this room, feeling a heavy burden, call the leaders of the church and have them pray for you. And then verse 16 says it like this. And the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. This guy Elijah, just like us. And then it says, and Elijah prayed. And Elijah prayed, and God answered his prayer. Man, just like us, discouraged, depressed. The voice of God comes and speaks to him. And the Bible says that Elijah talked to God. He talked to God, and then he obeyed. Today, God wants to speak to some of you. The reason we have altar workers that come, and we usually do in the worship experience, but this morning we're going to do it right here at the end of the service. The reason that we invite you to come and have someone pray for you because we believe it's a biblical pattern. There's power in the prayer of agreement. God wants to touch you. God wants to speak to you. God wants to encourage you. God wants to heal, restore you today. If you're in the room today, you say, Pastor, I need prayer today. Anyone here in the anyone anyone in the room walking through something and you need prayer? Just lift your hand real quick. Want to cross this room? Anyone here today? We're all going to stand together and the worship team is going to sing here in just a moment. But I want everyone to stand today. And if you're a prayer partner today, one of our small group leaders or a prayer partner, would you just go ahead and start to make your way down? And the moment the worship team, the moment Miranda begins to sing this song, I just want you to, you need prayer today. I just want you to begin to make your way. I just say, listen, man, we're all in the same boat. We're all in different stages and places. But if you need prayer for anything today, I want you to come into an agreement. I want you to find someone here up in the front that you can pray with. Father, I pray today, every person in this room, you saw a person that raised their hand, even those that didn't. God, I pray that the prayer of agreement will release great power and great grace. I ask this in your mighty name. Let's worship the Lord together.